Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the House Indie Built Podcast. As always, I am your host, Jackson Frank, and per usual, I am hosting some Spotify Green Room. I hope everyone is enjoying their Labor Day weekend. Uh, it's a beautiful day in Portland, Oregon, not a cloud in the sky on Sunday here. Um, but the plan is to bring on Matt Brooks, who covers the Nets for Nets Daily. Uh, we'll talk about kind of what he thinks of the Nets offseason, some fun lineups he's looking forward to. Uh, maybe some teams that he thinks will uh, join the Nets in that title contention tier. And then we'll get some of his thoughts about the Sixers. Um, again, it's really tough to talk a ton about the Sixers at this point because they're so in flux with the Ben Simmons, you know, trade requests and all that. But we'll get Matt's thoughts on that. Uh, and just mostly focus on the Nets, but we'll try and tie in some Sixers stuff as well. Uh, and if you're listening on the you're listening on spot, in the Spotify Green Room, uh, feel free to post any questions or comments you have in the discussion tab. We'll do our best to address them. If you're listening as a podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. It does help me a lot, and any feedback that you can give about content you want to see or things that you like or that I already do uh, really does help improve the quality. So please do that if you have the time. But uh, we're going to go in here. Matt is in the room, and uh, I'm excited to talk with him today. Hey, Matt, how are you? Can you hear me? I can. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm watching a little uh, Suns uh, Nuggets round two basketball right now. For a little uh, Paul Millsap research I'm doing right now. It's uh, it's it's fun to watch if you're uh, if you're a Suns enjoyer. It wasn't so fun for the Nuggets this past year, but uh, but yeah, yeah the fun. crowd was great. That's the thing that I'm. That's my biggest takeaway. Uh, Millsap looks a little better than uh, than I expected, but yeah, the crowd in, in Phoenix was so good. It just even now, I'm still like getting excited about this team. That you know, whatever. We're two months since they lost in the finals. I'm still hype about them. So it's it's yeah. been fun. They were they were that that crowd was really fun throughout the entire uh, the entire run. But yeah, I'm I'm watching some stuff for a Jordan Poole article. I'm like, man, like I'm I'm enjoying the offseason, having some time to to recharge. But I'm like, I'm, I'm excited. Like I'm really excited to get going again. But uh, enough West West Conf- Western Conference talk. We're uh, we're doing Atlantic Division stuff today. Um, talking some nets, maybe get some thoughts on the Sixers as well. Um, I appreciate you joining me. Um, obviously, you know, the nets didn't make any huge moves because they have their core in place of the big three, but we're pretty active on the margins, um, signing some guys and whatnot. I just kind of want to get your initial thoughts on the nets offseason decisions, whether it was, you know, some of the trades they made, the signings, the guys that decided not to bring back, um, maybe your, your favorite move, maybe the move you're most skeptical of just kind of a, a general synopsis uh, of, of kind of your your opinion of what they've done over the last you know, month or so. Yeah, I mean, I think like if you look at like the best way for me to like kind of uh, contextualize everything, just even for my own set, you know, my own sanity is just looking at what I had as needs for them. So mm-hmm. there were three things really. It was like a bigger wing prototype, so that you're not having KD take on that assignment all the time. He's going to probably take on a majority of those, but not all the time. Um, a drop center was something I thought they really, really needed. You know, it, it was, it, they really diversified their coverages as they went farther into the playoffs. And that guy that was doing that during the regular season for them was, was Marcus Aldridge, which is obviously a big ad for them. So it was that. It was the uh, bigger wing. And then it was just a, a backup point guard to obviously replace Dinwiddie. And I think they accomplished those three things. Um, you can look at uh, Millsap or or even like somebody like James Johnson as your bigger wing prototypes. I'd probably argue that James Johnson is a better uh, facsimile of that. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have LaMarcus as your drop center. You have a couple other guys that can fill that as well. And then, of course, the Patty Mills signing, which, you know, I think that's going to look great. He's just going to 
he's gonna he's gonna replace really what Landry Shamit was <laughs> supposed to bring them, um, and and also give you a little bit of extra stuff. So I love it. I mean, you know, it it, it took a little while to come together for them, um, and it was it was really odd to have these two signings kind of in the last you know, really last month before we get into training camp to have these two big moves in Millsap and LaMarcus. But I do think those kind of like solidified this as being a really, really impressive offseason. Yeah, I mean, I, I tweeted, I think, when the Millsap signing became official, and maybe you would tweet out kind of their depth chart. Um, but they've done such a good job of building out this roster around around KD, Harden, and, and Kyrie. Um, you know, like obviously KD and Kyrie are fantastic offensive players and and when they commit themselves, they're fine defensively, and, and KD is, is great too. But I mean, I don't want to group KD. But my point here is like those the first two guys really kind of cover your bases offensively. KD does as well. But I thought his playoff run, he did so many different things that maybe weren't yep. always you know they're a little atypical of your traditional star. It wasn't just the scoring and the facilitating, but they've done such a good job just building around those skills. So like in the regular season, KD can just be like you know the guy who you know largely kind of plays off the ball that mid post does his thing. You know, scoring wise. Um, but he doesn't have to be this incredible defender of facilitator like he was in that Buck series. And so um, I really like how they've done that. And and with the Millsap signing, to me, you know, this is a little reductive, but he, he's very similar to Blake in that sense. Right? Yep. He's, he's mostly a five at this point. The movement skills aren't what they used to be, um, but he can pass, he can shoot. Um, and so what I like there is you can preserve both of them, right? Like part of the reason Blake was so useful in the playoffs is because he didn't have to do a ton when he signed with the Nets in the regular season. So now you can maintain that, you know, you know, maybe Blake needs a night off. Okay, you go throw Millsap in there. The scheme, what you're doing doesn't change. You know, the, the thing that I've really come to try and value a lot more as I've, you know, covered the NBA one is this idea of continuity. And I think the Millsap-Blake thing offers that as your kind of stretch five guy there. Um, as you mentioned, Mills, you know, Mills is similar to Shamit in, in a broad sense. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously Landry had a weird year where he really struggled to open the season and really found his footing kind of in that in the middle of the season, then it was okay in the playoffs. Um, so I really like what they've done. Um, you know, James Johnson, as you mentioned, kind of gives them that bigger wing. I don't think you want to rely on Millsap to really do anything to play the five these days. Um, and, you know, even even a guy like DeAndre Bembry, I think, is someone who in a, in a pinch is going to look good. Like, there's going to be great spacing. He's a guy who can kind of do a little bit, little bit of that Bruce Brown role where he's going to be a, a funky roller and he can pass in the short role. Um, has a really delightful um, kind of this this like Spider Man dunk celebration. We'll see some of those this year. Everybody um, wants to cut him right now. I'm I'm a, I'm in the camp of keep him. I think he's a good player, and I, and I just he's he, he kind of gives you a sense of like a little bit of weirdness that you can throw in there. I think that stuff's pretty important. So yeah, no, I like him a lot. Sorry to cut you off. No, no, you're no, you're good. Um, but yeah, I think you know I think I would keep him. Um, I, I think, you know, he's not Bruce Brown, but again, I think this idea of continuity is something that really does matter, especially for a team like the Nets who are probably going to slow play the regular season in some aspects um, in terms of just making sure KD, Kyrie, and Harden are, are good to go for the playoffs. Um, you know, obviously, Nick Claxton can take a step forward this year. Um, I think the film in the playoffs is pretty clear what he needs to improve upon, so um, I think that's something that, that will help too. Um, even Javon Carter, you know, I don't think he's going to be the guy who plays a ton, but um, was kind of right on the fringes of a, a title contender rotation last year, so um, a guy that you can you can fill in you can fill a need, can step in when necessary. But um, was there any one or two signings that you really really thought were you know your favorite that you thought or really addressed some of the areas that um, were areas of concern last year? So hard with the Nets because like you know I don't want to diminish anything that any team did, but like most likely they would have been in that in the conference finals if they were healthy. 
like what what kind of things did you think they needed to address that were areas of concern beyond health last year that you thought either that they did with this that they did do well to address I'm kind of rambling here but either they did do well to address or maybe you're still a little skeptical or need to kind of see how it plays out in the regular season I mean they're bigger for one so that that's kind of the idea is that you want to make this team that's a little bit bigger I I think they've improved the rebounding just by you know, bringing in uh, Millsap and LaMarcus. Now, granted, those guys are not elite rebounders. And in fact, LaMarcus is probably far from that. But they at least will gobble up some rebounds. So I do think that that stuff matters. And I think those are the main things they really needed to add. Like, it really, again, I I don't mean to be reductive either, but like that team was, they looked really good. They looked like the team that was the favorite to win it all last year. So they didn't have to add much. You obviously want to improve on your weaknesses. And that's really just size in your front court and rebounding. And I, I think they did a good job of doing that. But, um, yeah, I, I just, you know, I, it's the, I, the collective IQ of this team um, that I really like. And, and I'm watching Millsap right now, um, and he's just another guy that you're going to add in there that, you know, I, I, I think he's probably going to really like playing in Brooklyn. They, they, you know, the Nuggets had him hedging and recovering and just running all over the place on defense. And it's going to be real easy when everything's an automatic switch for him. So, yeah, I, I just, you know, this it's just a collective IQ of this team that I think is only increased and then also just polishing up the, the, the rebounding stuff. Those are the things that I was really impressed with so far. Polishing up, I like your uh, unintended pun there with uh, Millsap. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, like, Millsap is a guy who, you know, was really key to what the Nuggets were doing. Um, they reached kind of a point where they realized they were overextending him, and once they kind of, um, you know, put him in a reserve role and limited his workload, um, he was pretty good again. Uh, and he yeah. has three limitations. Again, he's not a starting collar player, but I think there's enough in place in Brooklyn, or more than enough, honestly, to keep him in a, an ideal role. Um, so I really like that signing. As you meant, like, he's just another high field guy um, on both ends, honestly. Like, Blake is the same way. Blake's more offensively inclined, I think, in terms of where his, his field most, most manifests. But even defensively, you saw some really nice stuff in that Bucks series. So um, really, I mean, like, I don't think, like, you know, I had Tom West on a couple of days ago, and we talked, we kind of tiered through the, the East, and we were both very complimentary of them. I don't know if that was before or after the Millsap signing, but, um, they, I mean, again, I just can't keep hard. I, can, I can't say enough good things about how they built this roster around their stars. Um, you know, it, it, it reminds me, in, in some senses, of that, that Lakers team two years ago. Um, it just was so, it, there was such a clear vision of what they wanted to do around AD and LeBron, and that, that really kind of, and that's the mark of a, of a smart team building. I think the Nets are similar. They understand what their guys are good at, where they maybe need to shore up some holes in the regular season. They've done well to address that. So um, are there any areas that you're still a little bit like, I wouldn't say like, you're like, this is a flaw, but you're like, I need to kind of see it play out. And then I can kind of get a better feel for it that you think still is left to be addressed or could maybe be something that uh, has to you know play out depending on who they cut, who they keep, things like that. Kind of depends where Cam Thomas is. Like, if, if he's right away, it's like, oh, this guy's definitely somebody that can step in and give you real NBA minutes, and this isn't a worry. But let's say Kyrie, because Kyrie seems to run into an injury. Uh, you know, it, it just has really bad luck with that. And Harden's also got a lot of, you know, minutes at this point on his odometer. If you run into injuries in one of those guys, like, the only thing I could possibly say, weirdly enough, with a team with, you know, KD, Ky- uh, Kyrie, and James Harden, is actually probably ball handling. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of made the comparison to Shamit for Mills, and I do think that's probably a little more apt um, just in the film that I watch. And you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I, I do feel like it's, he's really more of an off-ball player. And 
uh, the ball handling stuff, he can absolutely do it. Is it something that he's going to be a great like primary option running the offense? No, he's not really a high um, assist percentage guy and a guy that's really going to be making those advanced reads. So that's the only thing I could possibly say. But again, as I've, I'm, you know, I'm going to keep repeating myself. They have built out this roster with a lineup for like every single situation you could want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you know the thing with Sham with interesting is like every place that he's gone now he's on. Geez, he's already in. in He's on his fourth team. He hasn't even started his fourth season. Um, they've always kind of tried to grow that ball handling part of his game that you saw in college. And yep. I think you saw a little bit more, like a little better this past year in Brooklyn once he found his shot and his footing. But it's never quite been there the level you'd want. Um, and I think Mills is similar. Like you want you want Mills like creating or ha- having the ball in his hands once a, once an advantage has already been you know established. Right? You're not you don't want him running. High screen roll, high screen roll, high screen roll. He can shoot off the right. a little bit. Like he's got the shot fakes and the side steps. Um, he can do that. But uh, I think I would agree that it's a very good comparison. Um, you know, just based on who Shamrock is now. It's I mean, again, he's much younger than, than Mills, of course. But uh, yeah, neither guy is someone you you would want kind of running pick and roll after pick and roll. But um, for sure, well, the thing with Mills is like I really like the film that I was watching. The the pick and rolls I liked where where it was like a second side action and matchups were scrambled mm-hmm. a little bit. Like that's yeah. where I'm like I like this a lot. Versus if he's taking the ball up. I mean, the weird thing about watching him on the Spurs is he doesn't take the ball up half the time. Mm-hmm. It's Rudy Gay. It's DeRozan. It's like he's really, yeah. you know, people compared him as the, the Dinwiddie replacement. And to a degree, he is. But he's also really more of a Shamit replacement. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just interesting to watch. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's when I when I saw that sign and when I kind of assessed the Nets, I was like, yeah, Mills is the, the replacement for Shamit. I didn't honestly, I hadn't even like thought about Dinwiddie in the context of this roster versus last year because he... He barely played, obviously, like, you know, I'm a huge fan of Dinwiddie, but, um, you know, like, I, I didn't even think about it like that, but I guess in some senses he is, you know, the replacement there. But um, what are some of the, like, you know, when you've thought about this team now, what are some of the lineups you're intrigued by? Obviously, the starting five will be great um, because they have three superstars and then a Blake or a Mel Sapp and whoever kind of, and then Joe Harris, of course. Um, but, like, what are some lineups that you think are, could, could be interesting that we see throughout the regular season as the Nets try to, you know, maintain health and whatnot? Because, like, I mean, is that a fair... Re- like, do you think the Nets are going to slow play it a little bit again, or do you think they could try and be a little more aggressive gunning for that one seed based off, you know, last year, if they would have gotten the one seed, you know, they probably would have, you know, you know, gone farther. I don't want to say how far, but, like, how? Do, I guess that's my first question, is how do you think they'll approach this year in terms of, you know, making sure guys are healthy versus, you know, getting that one seed? And then, two, based off that, what are some lineups outside of the assuredly dominant starting five that you're intrigued by. Yeah, I mean, so first off, I, I do think that they're probably going to slow play it a little bit just because of how many guys they have. Like, they need to figure out who looks good, who looks, you know, who looks good next to who, who do we trust in big moments. You know, again, these are a little hyperbolic, but these, you know, those sort of types of questions that you need to answer throughout the year, I, I think it actually really does play to their advantage. If they are resting guys, if they're sitting guys on certain nights, um, I, I could see that definitely being a little bit more of a slow play. In terms of the lineups I like, um, the closing lineup's really fascinating to me. You know, they, they ran that lineup with Jeff Green at the five, and I'm really, really curious to see who that five man is for them this year. Is it gonna be, is it gonna be, you know, somebody like a Blake Griffin? Is it gonna be Millsap? Is it gonna be Lamarcus? Um, you know, I, I'm just curious. I, that's really what it comes down to. And, Pretty much, I mean, just because of how many additions they have in the front court, I'm fascinated by what the front court looks like, who is, and, and who's really the tandems that you're seeing at the four and the five, because I think KD and 
well, KD mainly is going to be a three for the most part, I think, this year. Um, so, you know, is it going to be, uh, are they going to do weird things? Are they going to throw out LaMarcus and, and Claxton? Or are they going to really be a little more traditional about it and throw, you know, Blake next to Claxton or something like that? Are they going to give the LaMarcus-Blake Griffin pairing another shot? Something that they toyed with a little bit in last year's regular season, didn't get great results, and kind of scrapped it quickly. Those are a lot of like big questions that they need to answer just because they have so many guys in the front court now that are vying for minutes. And that's really, that's, I mean, the first two, three months of the season, that's mostly going to be what I'm watching for. Cause I think we know what the big three looks like together. We can get an idea for what somebody like Patty Mills is going to look like next to them. But I'm just fascinated by the idea of what those front courts are going to look like and what they settle on. Yeah. I mean, they really do have so many different options in that front court. It's, it's pretty ridiculous. I mean, like, Aldridge, I thought, in San Antonio, like, I think this is where we're a little bit apart on him. Like, I was really unenthused by by him defensively, even in the drop coverage. I don't know, like, I, I think I saw a couple of your tweets. You seem a little more optimistic. And there's, I mean, yeah, there's a chance. I mean, Blake looked way better, uh, you know, in Brooklyn. So there's a chance, like, kind of, you know, the the idea of, you know, being on title contender reinvigorates him. But obviously the pick and pop stuff is there. Um, you know, he's, I think he is probably the best kind of, self-creation post-threat on mismatches out of those three among Millsap, him, and, and Blake. Um, but the pick-and-pop game's there. But, you know, obviously we saw Blake did last year. We know who Millsap is. And then you've got this guy, Claxton, who, like, uh, you know, I talked about him a little bit earlier, but, like, was pretty key for them in the regular season um, with his switchability, his lob threat. Um, he's so light, you know, off his feet, both as a, as a lob threat and a switch big. Um, but you saw some of the struggles in the postseason when, you know, te- teams weren't just getting the ball out of, you know, one of the superstars' hands, it was we want the ball in Nick Claxton's Nick Claxton's hands. Um, and there is a difference there, right? There's a difference between just trapping a, a ball to trapping a guy to get the ball out of his hands and trapping a guy both to get it out of his hands into someone else's hands. So um curious to see if he's improved on the short roll. If he does, I think he will be a guy that is super, super like he's already a guy who I think could be pretty important, but he would be even more important because like you know teams are gonna trap Harden and Kyrie and even K D when KD's running pick and rolls. And if if Claxton's a legit short roll threat, you know, finding Joe Harris in the corner or you know, finding Blake on a lob or things like that, or, or James Johnson on a baseline cut, Bruce Brown baseline cut, um, really makes things easier for him offensively. So um, there's just so many options with this team, really, and, and that's what it comes down to. I'm, I'm curious to see how they balance, you know, the maintenance of these three older veterans in Millsap, Blake, and LaMarcus versus making sure they're in rhythm and, you know, that they all feel like they have a legit role on this team. And, and they've always been – those three guys are, are very much – you don't really have to worry about that, I don't think. But there is a certain level of rhythm that comes in any any guy, but especially these older guys, I think that that matters. And and how they balance Claxton's development too. So I think that's going to be really interesting. That I'm I'm curious to see. Um, but like they just really are so deep. It's it's ridiculous. What do you think? Kind of how does the how do the wing and guard rotation shake out for you? Because I think there's going to be some guys who could who could play quality minutes on a lot of good teams that that probably won't be in the rotation when everyone is is available. Yeah, I think you brought up Carter a second ago. He's he's a good player. Like he's a good three and D player. And I've just sort of I don't know how much we're gonna see him now. He would like if he was to play, he'd have to jump Bruce Brown. That's kind of where I'm looking at it with with him especially. And then Bembry also like that's another guy that mm-hmm. I really like. I, I like the weirdness. I like the stuff that he does. He just he makes things happen. Um, and that's a guy like I just don't know if those guys are gonna play just because they have. And again, as you said. You know, the vets that they've brought in are, they're, they're, they're low maintenance for sure, but they also are going to want to play and mm-hmm. they, they've certainly earned playing time with their careers. So 
that team, I mean, the Nets suddenly are going to be a lot bigger and they're going to be playing, you know, dual big lineups probably much more than they did last year. So because of that, that is going to squeeze out some of these guys that are on the fringes, the Carters, the Bembrys of the world. Um, and then, you know, who knows about their two-way guys. So that that's kind of what you're looking at. We haven't even brought up James Johnson, who I also kind of like after watching um, a whole bunch of film on him last week. I have no idea where he's going to fit in because he's another guy that it's like it makes sense for him to play in certain matchups. If you're playing the Bucks, I like him getting thrown out there for a couple of minutes against Giannis just to see what he can do at the very least. So that's another guy like we, we didn't even talk to him. We're what, 20 minutes into this? That's a guy I yeah. like. I would like him in any other rotation, but I don't know if he's going to play. Yeah, I, and I think what, what the Nets have done so well is you. it's so much easier to play these skilled, non-shooting wings, the, the Bruce Browns, the Bembrys, the James Johnsons, uh, because you can put four other guys around him who are going to credibly space the floor, whether it's actually commanding significant gravity like a KD, a Harden, a Kyrie, a Joe Harris, or at least being a threat like a Blake or a Millsap. Um, you know, you're going to have, like, even Aldridge, you're like, you're going to have space for these guys. And you know that a lot of teams are going to trap or double, you know, a pick and roll, and you're going to kind of let them do the thing with short roll. So, yeah, I mean, like, I, like, the NBA season is always unpredictable. You can never be so sure about predictions and, and whatnot. But, like, I just have a really tough time seeing this team not, like, I don't want to say comfortably because the Bucks are very good, um, but I have a tough time seeing seeing them really not look like the best team in the East if everything aligns. And, um, you know, like, I know there, I mean, there are some things with the, with the Bucks and what, like, they're very good. And I think the biggest low hanging fruit for the Bucks is if Drew can look better off yes. in a potential yes. series. Um, you know, Nikias Duncan, who is wonderful, still, th- still says he thinks that he'd prefer the Bucks. Some of it was because of the Nets' health, which is a absolutely, you know, fair concern. But some of it that he was explaining that I hadn't considered a lot is the idea that that Drew was up and down throughout the entire playoffs offensively, but he was so down for long stretches of that that net series that um, you know it's like yeah that's that's an easy low hanging for like if Drew just looks like the guy he was in his first two playoff stints or at least the one that he, he was against the Blazers um, you know a few years ago um, that's an easy way to kind of bridge some of the gap maybe that could exist between these two teams at full strength so um, parlaying into that like who are the teams that you think will join the Nets in that title contention tier and are there any Dark horses, like I know the Bucks and the Lakers, but like any, I guess any dark horse that you think you know, if things align for them, could you know, could be someone the Nets, the Nets are facing in the in the Eastern Conference Finals or the Finals potentially. So because they're so big now, I kind of look at teams that can play a little bit smaller and make them move around to a degree, um, and and you know, put these guys in awkward situations. So you know, like, weirdly enough, Golden State could come to mind. Um, that's a team that I mean, things would have to. To you know, I don't even know what to make of the West. I don't know about you. I just have no idea what to make of it. I don't there's know. So, there's so many injury caveats. Whether it's Murray, uh, Kawhi, yeah. Clay, like, like you mentioned, the Warriors, like, and even the Warriors are a team that now they have these three lottery picks. Like, I think the Warriors could put together a really, really good rotation, but I don't know if they will because they'll play Wiseman, they'll play Moody, they'll play Kuminga, and that's not like to disparage them, but like, like Wiseman was not a player who should have been in the rotation last year if they no. were grinding going to win game, like trying to win games. Like it should have been Dre and Looney at the five. And then, and then Wiseman picks up the slack when a guy needs a day, night off. But like, and I'm not saying the Warriors are going to be like the top team in the Western. Like, that. like people know I'm largely a proponent of the Lakers. Um, but like a, a rotation of a Steph, a clay, a pool, a Wiggins, a Draymond, a Looney, uh, Juan Toscano Anderson, Otto Porter, like, 
like, you know, even, even Bielitsa, you know, potentially he didn't look great last year in either setting between Miami and Sacramento, but um, like there's, there's enough stuff there in conjunction with Steph, who was still a top five player, Draymond, who's still an all, all world defender and and really good passer. Like there's enough there that I, I get that, that side of things for, for like you, you're like, yeah, maybe this is a team that can give the, the Nets some, some issues. Like, I don't know if they quite have the second, like high end talent guy, but I really yeah. am talking myself into the Warriors in an ideal situation. But I don't know if we're going to get that. I think we're going to get at least one or two, maybe all three young guys in the rotation. That's really going to be be tough, and it's unfortunate because like, like they've got a good team. Like I'm turning this into the Warriors praise, but I've been watching this. I've been watching Jordan Poole for a few days now, and I'm like, I like the guys they have. Around. He's so yeah. underrated. He yeah. is such an underrated player. They've, like they've got the guy. Like Wiggins, you know, gets a lot of you know flack for a lot of, but he's a solid. Like he's legit a solid player. Um, Poole's good. Toscano Anderson, like, you know, I don't know what Otto Porter's going to be like. I mean, you can't really make on health at this point, but, like, he's an upgrade over Kelly Oubre if he's playing. Like, Oubre was so tough last year, and, like, it just was a, it was a bad fit for them. Like, they yeah. read and react offense, and Oubre is a, I mean, I kind of do my own thing, but I'm um, <laughs> sorry to cut you off. I just had been thinking no, about no, no, no. for a couple of days, and I wanted to, I wanted to kind of springboard that into my own, uh, my own soapbox, I guess. But, like, what are there any other teams that kind of fit you know think fit that bill with you know the the big time pull up shooter and and Steph of course no one I mean no one matches Steph in that regard but like kind of who can play small and, and be mobile and, and physical and whatnot. I like Atlanta too, um, just because mm-hmm. of the way Trey is what a top. What is he in pick? And is he a top three pick? Yeah, it's like, I mean, top, in the right now? top four. I would say. I mean, it's him. It's him. Steph, D- Dame, and, and Luca. I mean. Uh, maybe I'm missing someone. I mean, I guess Harden, Harden probably. Yeah, it's a top five, maybe. I don't know. You get Kyrie in if you want, but I don't think Kyrie is quite the level of passer of, of them. And even though Dame's not quite in that tier either, he's got the pull-up shooting edge, I think, on Kyrie in terms of gravity and whatnot. But, like, yeah, but yeah I think Trey makes sense there, too. Because that's the that's the biggest thing, right? I think that if you're looking at a team that's really going to give the, the Nets an issue, it's that, it's that kind of that that pull-up maestro, right? Like just, yep. you, don't have, you don't have that ideal defensive big you have a lot of guys who can do different things but none of them you don't have the you know the joels the rudy's you know those sorts of guys and obviously you know rudy we've seen his own issues in space but like in terms of actual like pick and roll coverage those are two you know and joel has gotten a lot better i wouldn't even say he's the best of the best but like yeah they don't have that level of pick and roll defender right and so that's kind of where is that kind of am i reading that right that's maybe your biggest hesitancy in terms of like the archetypal that the archetype that could really give this Nets team some issue because they didn't, I mean the the Bucks were good last year but the their best pick and roll bottom was Middleton who was up and down in that series and he's good yeah. but he's not he's not at the level of the guys that we've described here. Yeah, no, I mean the idea for me is like I just want teams that are going to make the Nets play smaller because that just and, I, and by the way the Nets can play small they can play KD at the five they can throw Claxton out there who is just basically a wing that's yeah. you know seven feet tall I mean they they have those options too. But at the very least, what you're doing is shrinking and limiting the rotation. That's it. That's the whole idea with that. If you have a team that can make the Nets change a little bit of what they do, and maybe that doesn't even happen. Maybe they, maybe the Nets are like, great, we're going to play big. We're going to, you know, if you guys are switching on the other end, we're just going to have our, you know, Millsaps, our, our, Lamar, our, our uh, LaMarcus's, our Blake's just, you know, post up those mismatches. Like, we're totally fine with doing that and making out of, you know, plays out of there. But, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my thinking with it is just, the just making the Nets have to adjust certain things and put them in a situation where they're actually limiting the number of players that they can throw out there. That's that's it, though. I mean, it's <laughs> I named two great options off the top of this with, with KD and Claxton. <laughs> you can play at the five, and I feel really good about those guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, just the entire theme of this is the Nets have, <laughs> have options everywhere. But 
I think I do want to talk about like I mean the Lakers are the, the obvious threat, right? I mean they're, they're the team that that won a title a year and a half. You know, I mean a year ago, honestly, at this point, right? Like, not even. It's been yeah, it's been eleven months. That's how wild these last couple seasons have been. But like, Goodness. what do you make of that matchup, and how do you, you know, what, what do you think of the because like the AD matchup specifically, specifically, and even LeBron, because even though the Nets have gotten bigger, they're still not super big in the sense that like I wonder who like who who do they put against AD and. And some and some of AD is like Anthony Davis. I, I'm saying AD too often, but like some of him, like he is a guy who I think often like his success offensively at least just is dependent on like what sort of approach he takes. Is he really trying to overwhelm you as a face up scorer? Is he settling for some jumpers? And I shouldn't even say settling in the playoff context. He's been an unreal you know playoff shooter throughout his career. Um, but like, what do you make of that match? Because I do think that is one that worries me a little bit because they're so because they can be so big if they want. Like I'm. And like I don't want, I don't think that like JaVale or, or DeAndre Jordan could survive. Even Marcus Hall could survive in a Nets matchup. Um, but like that, I mean, like you can still go pretty big and mobile and imposing defensively with LeBron and AD at the four and five. I mean, you can cover unreal ground, and then you have you know yeah. one of the best pick and roll duos um, with that lob threat that AD provides. So like, what do you make of that matchup? Because I do think like that's not to discount the Suns or you know anyone else or the Hawks or the Bucks, but like. I do think if people are picking a finals, for the most part, it's going to be these two teams. And so I do want to kind of get your thoughts on that potential matchup. And we'll, we'll hopefully we'll see a couple of them at uh, full strength this year at times. That would be nice. Wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be nice if we got the, if we got some, uh, just give me one game. We didn't even get one <laughs> last year. I remember the, the, let's see, I think it was the second Lakers game. Um, I don't think, uh, LeBron or AD played and it was, was, that, the, just like, was that the Drummond game when Drummond had like yeah, 2018 yep. or something like that made, yep. made Aldridge and, uh, not look great and then not, I mean, obviously that's not the reason Aldridge retired but that, yeah. there, it was shortly before he retired because of the unfortunate heart situation but he's healthy again so yeah. anyhow uh, which is great to hear from him so uh, anyhow what what do you make of this that matchup because I mean it's going to be a little different than last I mean a lot different than last year but even on paper it's, this is a different Lakers team now that has you know swapped a little bit of you know ancillary talent for for Russell Westbrook to maybe try and rejuvenate an offense that was uh, pretty lackluster at times last year, largely yeah. health related, but uh, still they had some uh, some struggles. I just want to see the Lakers play. Like I, <laughs> I just because I don't. There's so much that's changed. There's so many new pieces. It's a completely like when teams shift an identity that much. Like the, yeah. <laughs> when they like it is crazy how much they've shifted. They went from a team that had great point of attack defense to like we have no idea what that's going to look like, and they're they have all this shooting after being like a decrepit team in terms of spacing the floor last year. So for me, when I look at uh, the Lakers, I actually, the thing that come, and I'm happy you brought up Anthony Davis, whenever they play him at the five and he's, you know, able to flash that handle, he's able to um, just, you know, really showcase his speed. I, I just, against the Nets right now, like you can say, which, and again, we've said very positive things about who they've brought in. But the speed and the handle, it just is going to make it a really tough matchup for, you know, Marcus, mm-hmm. Marcus is the name that comes up the top, but even somebody like Millsap or, um, you know, Blake, I just, he's a force. He's a force. If he's right, he's a force. And I think that's going to be something that the Nets have to deal with. I also really, really like Westbrook in that matchup just because of how personal he seems to take that matchup. And in, in at least in the games I was watching last year with Kyrie. Um, and granted, that can mean... I'm not going to get too much into the Westbrook thing because this is. <laughs> I'm not dealing with the Westbrook trouble. Um, but, but no, I, I know what you. I know what you mean. Sometimes when he when he raises it up a notch, it's not yeah. always for the better. And I, I I love Russ. Like I've been a huge fan. Like, but he can get 
some of the autonomy he has at times can be detrimental. I think that is a perfectly democratic way to put it without being, you know, overly, you know, overly indicting or anything like that. But he was good last year. I mean, again, it's regular season, but he was good last year and, and really took that matchup personally, posted up Kyrie um, and just made life tough and seemed to really exhaust Kyrie that way. So I, I, I actually kind of like him in that matchup. There's not, it's not an everyday thing for me where I don't think every matchup is great for Westbrook um, just in, in whatever playoff run they take. But that one I actually kind of like. I think he gives you a lot of needed boost. He's a great north to south guy. And if you can get the Nets in rotation, um, and we'll see what it looks like this year again with these big man rotations, we don't know what it's going to look like when, you know, let's say Paul Millsap or Blake Griffin, if they're playing a little bit bigger, what does that look like when they're the low men? They're rotating down and then they have to rotate out to a corner shooter. That might not look, you know, as swimmingly as it did last year when, let's say, Blake was just sort of automatic switching at the top of the key. So, yeah, I, I'm just fascinated by that. I, I, I think it's going to be a really fun matchup. And, um, you know, I just, I just want everybody to be healthy. But um, those are the main things I'm looking at. And, and it'll just, for me, I just want to see, you know, kind of similar to the Nets, just with their front court. I want to see how things shake out for the Lakers because there's a lot of really interesting pieces. But there's just also a lot of players. So we got to figure out kind of where they're going to consolidate things. Yeah, I, so I have a few things based off kind of your, your impressions there. One, I'm curious to see what level of physicality we get from Anthony Davis because that is one thing that I think really can determine his offensive success versus struggles. Like if he plays physically in the size he, he can, like he is really tough to stop. But there are times when he avoids contact and he settles and things like yep. that. And like, and one of the things Blake is really good at is he is physical as, as heck. Um, you know, like, he had some early success against Giannis in that series. Giannis was able to combat it because Giannis is like, all right, you want to play physical? I'll, I'll play physical yep. with you. Um, and AD is not always that way. Like, it's not necessarily, like, it doesn't mean he can't be good, but, like, he's not, he doesn't play with that same physical ethos as often as as Giannis does. Um, but there's a lot of physicality between these teams. Like, LeBron, Bazemore, Ariza, you know, Blake, uh, you know, Harding can play physically at times on defense. Um, like, I think that's a series, like, you get to game six or seven, potentially, and, like, I think you might you might see it look a little like uh, like game seven of, of Bucks-Nets, um, you know, where teams are just absolutely wound down yep. um, because of a lot of physicality uh, there. So I think that could be fun. Um, the Russ thing, I, I am curious about, like, how – I'm just so – I like, Russ was not very good to open the year with the Wizards. You know, he was injured. I get it. Um, and COVID really, too, I believe. Well, oh yeah, yeah, he, he was recovering. From, yeah, because he had got in the. Did he get it twice, or did he get it in the bubble? So he was still. I mean, it's, I mean, still like we. It's obviously we yeah. don't know how long. We don't know exactly how long the those effects uh, you know carry over and whatnot. But um, found his rhythm, you know, toward the middle of the year and really closed the regular season on a tear as the Wizards did as a whole. Um, but struggled again in the playoffs, and that's you know we've seen that quite a few times from Russ in, yep. in the playoffs. Um, but this is the most offensive infrastructure he's had. I think you know. I mean, the the Rockets context was weird um, because the infrastructure was not great. Once the Lakers were like, "Hey, we're going to double Harden and make you do everything," but this is the like you just can't do that. Like you have ED there, so um, obviously we know how well Russ is paired with a lob threat or a big man who can finish inside. Whether it was Dan Gafford last year, Stephen Adams before you know Stephen Adams really deteriorated in terms of his vertical explosion. Um, you know he was he was good with Capella at times. Um, they never really kind of found their stride because Capella was traded, and then Russ was didn't quite figure out until later in the year again. Um, but point B, like, I just don't know what to expect. I'm really fascinated by it. Um, 
is is like can he play that smaller role offensively? It's always kind of been the thing with Russ now, right? For a few years, yeah. Um, whether it was dating back to when Paul George came, or then going to, to Houston, or then playing with Bradley Beal. Um, but this is the first. This is the first time I think since he's played with KD, where it's really like you're going to have to, you know, it's not just this high leverage ball or high usage ball handler. Um, it's a different type of kind of offensive stars between you know AD and LeBron, and so. If he can play that small, be that cutter, be that guy who just attacks in space and you know makes all these these plays like kind of like he did as that short roll guy in Houston. Once they went to the really you know the real small ball with with Roko at the five or Peter Tucker at the five, um, just fascinating to see how that works. He could really be someone who plays with that force and that agility that that the Nets don't really have an answer for. But at the same time, he's someone that you can goad into the mid range jumpers and the maybe the off target passes if you're rotating quickly enough and things like that. Um, but then you know. I also think you mentioned the low man stuff. Like the Nets defense is really good against the Bucks, but like the Bucks' three best ball handlers or offensive guys aren't like the the highest magnitude of like processing speed and decision making guys with with Giannis, Chris, and and uh, and Drew. But now you have LeBron, who uh, I mean is is I mean I would say he is is kind of the gold standard for that sort of thing. Um, so I'm curious to see how the Nets you know deal with that that kind of new found dynamic for them. Um, like maybe you can maybe prepare for a little bit with Harden like that. I mean, that's what I'd be doing at times is like trying to prepare for a LeBron matchup by like having Harden do all. I mean, he's not the same tier of passer. Harden's very good, but LeBron is otherworldly, but at least trying to get some, you know, preparation for that in practice and whatnot by going up against Harden um, as well as you can. So I um, mean, that's maybe where the, the Nets depth comes in too, right? You can like at least give in practice, hypothetically you can give Harden some, of some good players, but not like your starters, but still like impose, you know, some threat against, against them. So um, this is kind of really getting the micro of it, but we are, I almost brought up that by the way, also in the buck series, uh, it was PJ Tucker stashed in the corner. So those rotations are kind of like, you know, I know obviously there's other players and whatnot, but a lot of times it was PJ Tucker left alone in that corner, um, which is a whole, we can get into that whole different time with the buck spacing. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was something that made things a little bit easier on them. Well, and I think, you know, you mentioned the, the spacing part of it. This is where the Lakers might have to decide, right? Do they want to go more, you know, offensively inclined by, by playing Wayne Ellington a lot? I'm hesitant of that. I think Wayne is a very good regular season player. I don't think he's proven to really care that over the postseason. but do you want to go, or do you want to go with that PJ Tucker type of play? I mean, this is a really broad comparison, but the Trevor Ariza, you know, yeah. a guy who can, can guard a little bit and. Um, and Rizzo honestly was very good defensively with Miami last year. Surprise! Um, yeah, I was. I was. I mean, you know, he's a great defender over his career, but you know, it was a whole year off, basically. Or, yeah, you know, uh, not a whole but, year off. <laughs> but yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but do you want to go with that? So do you want to go with the reason in the corner who right. can do some more perimeter defense, but like a guy that you feel pretty comfortable playing off of if you have to to muck up a you know to tag really aggressively on on, Le- on AD's role when LeBron is driving inside. Um, you know, do you want to go with Carmelo? Um, I would be hesitant of that based on what I've seen from Carmelo the last two years. But like, do you want to go Kendrick Nunn, a guy who gives you a little bit more ball handling juice, yeah. but is is pretty awful defensively? Um, like Malik Monk, like that's a guy that I think a lot of people on Twitter are fans of. Um, you know, he had a really nice year last season. Um, like Wesley Matthews too. Like he's, I don't think he's resigned, but like it seems like maybe he's a guy that get you know some point here. Um, just a lot of different ways you can go. Like, so do you want to re, do you want to emulate the, kind of what the, the Bucks did with the PJ Tucker, or do you want to go more offensively inclined and see if you know the LeBron AD you know defensive duo, which is incredible, can, can compensate for you there? Um, 
So a lot of different ways to go. Anything else you want to add? I do want to kind of get a little bit of Sixers talk, given this is let's do it a Sixers, uh, you know, Sixers podcast. Um, but anything you want to add before we kind of shift gears to a, a team who is not really a a title contender at this stage? No, no. Um, yeah, I think we we've touched on everything. We we started talking about low men, so that's when I was like, all right, it's time <laughs> to do Sixers. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's do it. Um, but yeah, just kind of your initial thoughts on the Sixers entering the year. What did you make of their off season? Um, do you, like, do you have any thoughts that you, you know, about the Ben Simmons, you know, situation? I, I don't know exactly what to call it because I don't want to be too, I don't want to play it up too much. Obviously, it's just a basketball yeah. thing, but like, just general thoughts from the Sixers. You know, they're signing of Drummond and Niang, re-signing Korkmaz. Um, you know, any any teams you think make sense for the Sixers, you know, to maybe work with in terms of a Ben deal. But uh, the floor is yours to talk about whatever you prefer regarding the Sixers. We're in a weird spot with them right now. Uh, yeah, we are. It's a, it's a weird spot in general, just with the whole situation, the Ben Simmons situation, just kind of hanging over everything. Um, I I don't I, I kind of feel like, you know, I, I the thing is like he is saying he's going to hold out in training camp. I think Maury's going to play hardball personally. That's that's kind of what I'm what I'm leaning towards. Um, as and I this is I don't know if you know this or not. As one of the um, seven existing Timberwolves fans growing up. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. They have actually, I love Timberwolves Twitter, but, um, I, I think it's hilarious. I mean, it's kind of weird just to see the team that I, I grew up rooting for kind of in the mix. And pro- I mean, do you like anything that Minnesota can throw together for, for Simmons? I, so I, I think it did a podcast a couple days ago. I don't know if it was on here or if it was a different one, but, um, I like the idea of picks because the reality is the Sixers are not going to become a title contender all of a sudden. If if Ben is the best player involved in a deal, um, they're just like, they're just not. Like, they they weren't really one last year. Uh, yeah, and not going to be if they downgrade their talent currently. But I think the path to becoming one would be if the if the Wolves can give you some picks that you could. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, Jaden McDaniels is a guy that I think like if you have picks plus McDaniels and Maxi, like maybe Matano Matisse is a little older and he makes a lot more sense on a team with better infrastructure. Um, but like you have those two guys plus some picks, like the Sixers have, I think. All but one or two of their own moving forward. Um, like then you're interested. Then you have you can come to the plate or come to the table. Um, you know if if Dame asked out, if Beal asked out, if some star that we don't know becomes available because that's I mean it's going to happen. Like I mean it's just how things move. Yep. Um, but that so I like the Wolves from that perspective. But like I don't think anything they they have in terms of actual players makes them better. Like I think if I'm looking at actual player like the Spurs, are the team that I'm interested in. Um, mm. largely because of Derek White. Like, I think Derek White is such a good player. Um, but Pacers, too, like, like, with Brogdon, like, just someone you can at least, like, say, we're going to run the occasional pick and roll for you in the playoffs, and we want you to get that pull-up, which is something Ben couldn't do. I mean, just isn't a pull-up shooter. Um, offers a lot of great things defensively, of course, but um, just any sort of ball handler that you can, like, play in the second round and beyond and say, like, can you shoot off a dribble four times a game? Um, and make one and a half of them, two of them, like that yeah. That sort of thing makes sense to me. But Minnesota, why do they think it's picks? Because you're looking at a kind of a two-step process to to maximize your title hopes potentially, um, you know, with another with another trade, but not not off the bat in terms of like, yeah, what Minnesota offers makes them tangibly better. It'd be about maybe it makes them better with another trade down the line. For sure. I mean, that's a good point. And like, that's the thing with the Sixers right now is this is just lined up to be a situation where, their guy is asking out just maybe, maybe five, six months before you'd actually want him to be kind of doing that or, or, or be in the, in the situation where you're looking to trade him. Because it's just the market isn't really there if you're looking for mm-hmm. either a star back 
or, you know, as close to a star back as you can get, or just a whole bunch of picks and a team like that. And again, that's why I bring up the Timberwolves. Um, as I hate to say, like, I do think they're the one team that could be desperate enough to give up some serious draft capital just to bring in Ben Simmons because they really want to make the playoffs. They really want to keep Towns. And I, I think they kind of know, and with just with a new front office or newish front office, um, I could just see that being a situation where they go for that. So it'll be a big, it'll be a big test for both teams, honestly. But I do like your idea of consolidating picks for something later. I think that's really smart. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really it's really the only thing they have left on it. Like they're just yeah. in such a tough spot in terms of actually like building a title contender around Joel Embiid. Um, so for anyone, anyone listening, this is not me saying like, yeah, I'll be, like that's automatically going to make going to put them in the mix, like. I think most people know I'm fairly pessimistic about this team being a title contender, um, but I, I'm I'm curious like where do you you know I mean it's I mean this is what's so tough like you know I asked you about some lineups that you like for the Nets I would love to do that about the Sixers but, but I have no idea what sort of thing they're gonna have it, I mean there's such a big missing puzzle piece because Ben is so influential in terms of what you can put around him anyhow if you have any sort of idea like where do you think this team stands in the East based off maybe either Ben, you know, doesn't end up holding out or they get some of the guys back that, that, that have been some rumored packages reported available on a Ben deal. Like where do you think this team currently stands in terms of kind of whether it can be uh, specific standing or more of a tier based, you know, ranking kind of what do you, what do you make of this team as currently structured, which has Joel Embiid, uh, who was an MVP candidate and a lot of not great high end talent around him. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I think, like, if, if they do move Simmons before the season starts, no matter what, I mean, there's I, – I just, in general, I mean, this is what happens when, when a guy has a tough um, – I mean, it's been a couple years now, but just doesn't play well in the playoffs. We kind of go a little too far with how valuable that guy is or what he leads to. But I think no matter what, you're running into a situation where your talent, at least in the regular season, there's a pretty big drop-off. So I mm-hmm. look at them more as, like – but like how low are we willing to go? Are we like six seed? Could we go that low? I mean, it, it, it's a lot of it depends on if Joel can stay healthy, which like knock on wood, I want another year that he had last year because that was amazing to watch him. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it really does. It kind of depends on that. So there's a bunch of teams that have improved. Um, you know, uh, Brooklyn has improved a little bit. Uh, it's a, you could, you know, in between a little bit to a, a good bit. Um, Milwaukee, I think, is is going to be in the mix. Miami, um, you know, maybe Atlanta, they, obviously, like Atlanta. Atlanta. So I, I I did my tears with with Tom West a few days ago, and I was like, I said like Atlanta is the team. I think like I don't know if they're like I don't know how good they are exactly, but they're the team that I would be least surprised by jumping into maybe the the fringes of that Milwaukee uh, tier because I have Brooklyn a little high, like I'm really high on Brooklyn again. Yeah, Bucks fans are probably not going to like me because I, I get it, but. Um, I've been skeptical of them, so there's probably some anchoring bias. I apologize for that, but uh, that's the, like Atlanta's team that I could see getting getting there. But but yeah, I, I think they could drop pre like pre low because like for all of Ben's faults, he's been an All Star three years in a row, and that's that's a regular season based impact award, right? Like that's that that matters. And as you mentioned, like if they're down Joel and Ben at some point, like like Tobias Harris took a big step forward last year, but he is yeah. not the guy you can rely on to be your lead perimeter creator, or lead creator. Uh, and, and Drummond, who I think is a totally fine backup center, you, he is not really a starting caliber guy on a good team. Um, so, and then you're looking at a lot of, like, not, you're fine. Like, they're, they're starting five is good. I mean, it's, it's Joel, Ben, Tobias, Seth, and Danny. Um, but, yeah, you're in a tough spot. So, 
yeah, I, I don't know what to make of this team at all, honestly. Like, I, I put them in my, like, set, my third tier. I put one as Brooklyn, 1B as Milwaukee, and then jumped to three with, with the two Southwest, Southeast Division teams, Miami, Atlanta. Um, cause I think that's roughly where they'll be. Like, I mean, you know, I think, like, I, I think Atlanta could be a lot better, but the reality is right. they won seven games. And I know DeAndre Hunter was out, and Danny Green was as well for half that series. So, um, I might even put Boston over them. I mean, after everything yeah. that's happened, I, 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 I don't like Boston's roster a little bit more. Yeah, no, I, I have uh, they have an identity. Year, so they yeah. have an identity now. They're they're yeah. a real like gritty defensive team, and I mean that's like that's the weird thing about the Sixers. After all these years, um, you know, you have the continuity and you bring in guys, and now it's just like I don't know what the identity of this team is. I, I know I'm excited to watch Maxi, and that's you know that's yeah, about I think, it. Like I think we all, might, yeah, we, we we might get a, a time in like November, December. We we'll get like a game where. Where Ben's still holding out and Joel is, you know, maybe resting and it's the Tyrese Maxey show. Um, we'll all enjoy it. I guess Maxey would be starting if ben, Ben's out mostly. Actually, I don't know. That'd be, It'll be know. great. Maybe Twitter will go wild. It'll yeah, be we'll, like, we'll, oh, this is the best thing for the Sixers. This is it. They've won. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but yeah, I just, I keep talking about it, but I just have no idea what to make of them because not only is Ben a very key player for them, he also helps really shape their identity or their their lack of identity, not lack, but like where their identity is lacking in terms of strengths. Um, and so I just don't know, but yeah, I would I mean the thing with Boston is like, I'm not, I'm not huge. Like I had them with the start of my fourth tier with like the, the boss, the New York, the Chicago, the Indiana, I'm not huge on them, but the fact of the matter is I have Jason Tatum, who is the best player in that tier. Yeah. Um, you know, he's a borderline top 10 guy. Like I think there's a chance he kind of, I mean, what he did last year, post all-star break, especially when he, once he found his footing, after kind of dealing with a lot of COVID ailments and whatnot, um, was it? I mean, twenty-eight, eight, and four hundred sixty percent true shooting on a team that didn't have a lot of offensive talent um, was incredible. So, well, in uh, the playoffs too, even just like yeah, you know, yeah. the, the <laughs> people that were that slugged through that one with <laughs> me yeah. and the Nets fans and the Celtics fans, uh, people yeah. would watch that. He was like just like sensational. It was it, you, you could feel it kind of in the in the moment. Yeah. You're like, oh, this this is. This is something. I don't know what it's going to lead to, but I feel like I should com- you know, compartmentalize this and remember yeah, this and, a little later. And even even go I mean, in the playing game against the Wizards uh, when he was incredible as well. But yep, yep. the point being is like Boston is a team that has that level of kind of, you know, superstar is always a vague term. People define it different ways, but like has that superstar player, you know, I'm, I'm a little more loose with it. Um, that I am too. Really, really, really elevate you. And like if, if Joel is missing some games, like Tatum is miles better than anyone the Sixers have if Ben's sitting out. Um, I think he's even significantly better than Ben, um, so which I don't think is like a, a strong take or anything. But um, yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised there. I, I just, but I, I think if Joel's play, like Joel is such a big floor raiser for them. I mean, he always has been. Like even his rookie year, like once he kind of figured things out, that was a team. Like if he hadn't torn up meniscus, might have been the eight seed the way they were playing in January. I don't know if you remember that at all. Like they really kind of found their footing. Um, you know, twenty sixteen seventeen, yep. and then Joel torn up meniscus and. Uh, and they they finished down toward the bottom, have the, have the number three pick, and then they they draft this guy named Markel Fultz. Um, mm-hmm. But but uh, yeah, so I I don't know what to make of them. And this kind of feels like both of us are just you know uh, saying saying a lot of nothing. But uh, that's all really you really can do it at a certain point in the offseason with the Sixers. But but yeah, I, I think the point I'm getting from you earlier is like it, they could drop pretty low depending on how things shake out in terms of health. And as much as you don't want to have to bank on health, like Joel's not going to play you know, more than, you know, 75, 80% of the games, whether it's because he misses some time with an injury or they just, they slow play him. Um, it's a full season too. It's a yeah. full, we're going back to the whole, the whole grind of it. So, and I guess we'll but I that, think that, I mean, that, I think that might work in Joel's favor a little bit just because like, mm. 
you know, 72 games, it's fewer games, but in terms of the, like, the, like the, con- the condensed nature of it, um, yeah. like, the Sixers do have this really weird stretch, I think, where they're, like, four or five days off, like, randomly in the middle of January, um, and they get the All-Star break a month later, so I think this, this schedule for them actually plays out a little more favorably for Joel, um, in terms of just not having as many maintenance games as last season, but, um, but point, but reality is, like, he's just gonna miss games, it's just how it goes. Yeah. Um, so, um, again, it doesn't mean he has to get injured. The Sixers are just going to play it slow with him because they want him to be at his best in the regular season or, as be- or in the postseason as best as he can be. Um, you know, you saw he had some struggles in that Hawks series, but overwhelmingly it was a very dominant postseason for him, uh, especially on defense. But, uh, yeah, I just I don't know what to make of this team. I think Joel really gives him a high floor, but um, in the games Joel misses, you have a pretty low floor. And I – so I, I – and I, I don't know, like – I'm not going to read too much into it, but, like, I think there is some chance that, like, Ben at saying that I want to play for the Sixers and making this thing public is him wanting to accelerate the process of him getting to a new home that he feels welcomed in and maybe he end up does like I end up actually playing when the season rolls around so that could help them too like I mean you know Ben is a guy who has you know helped them you know like at times when Joel misses games he can he just sometimes plays a little more aggressively offensively and kind of help compensate for some things there um, but yeah I think if Ben's sitting out and Joel is missing you know fourteen games whatever you want to say. Um, there's a chance they go three and eleven in those games or, or whatever, and so uh, that could really hurt them. But um, are there any teams you like, you know, that maybe we haven't discussed that makes sense for Ben for his sake, but also maybe that could offer some things to the Sixers that that entice them. So let's let's talk about Sacramento real quick. Which yeah. how high would you be willing to go? Like if you're, would you trade? Fox, or would you would you be? I, I'm personally I'm mixed on trading Fox. I I wouldn't I wouldn't do it. I think because yeah because I get I get the concerns about shooting and all that. But like Fox is a guy who does pair pretty well with Ben in the sense that like he can get two feet two feet in the paint right and four teams into rotations. And that's not something they've really had on the Sixers beyond you know Jimmy's tenure. Um, I guess they have it with Maxi a little bit, but Max but like <laughs> he's a rookie, so or yeah. was a rookie. Um, so I wouldn't do that, but like I would absolutely trade Halliburton. Like, uh, like I, Me too. at least in the, in the Kings context, like I get, I get the argument made for a team that hadn't struggled as much to acquire high end talent or wasn't marred in this big playoff drought because, like, and I talked about, I think I, I was on Brendan Nunez's pod a, few, a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, like Halliburton has gotten so much better year, like from high school to first year of NCAA, from year one to year two at Iowa State, from year two to Iowa State to his rookie year. Like, I like I totally get the growth curve thing, like. Like, I would be surprised if he's ever as good as Ben was, I think, two years ago uh, when he made the All-NBA, All-NBA team. But, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like, rule entirely out because of how much better he's gotten. But for the Kings, like, they just need – like, they've had they've had three All-Star appearances since the mid-2000s. And I know that Ben's played in the weaker East, but he's had three All-Star appearances since 2017 – or 2018, excuse me. Yes. So, um, but how do you feel – like, how do you feel about the Kings situation and all, and all that – kind of what they could offer, what they've reportedly made available. Yeah, I mean, Fox have kind of gone back and forth, although I have been, like, watching a little bit and just sort of looking through some of the numbers last year, and I'm like, ah, I might have underrated that season a little bit that he had. I mean, he was really good this last year, so... Yeah, he was. Um, he was, really, he was awesome. really good. Like, that's a very... And, like, I, I know because I had to go through and look at it, and I was like, <laughs> ah, yeah, this is definitely an underrated se- you know, season that I should have been more aware of. Um, I, the Halliburton thing, that rumor was weird. You know, it almost felt like one of those things where I'm like, is this a smoke screen? Cause that's really like half the time when I see rumors, I just, I don't even think about the rumor. I just think about where <laughs> it's coming from. 
I'm like, okay. like a true a true NBA uh, consumer and oh dude I've I've there. become like a crazy conspiracy you know conspiracy <laughs> no, no, theorist no I do the same thing though especially ones that seem outlandish you always <laughs> think about who does this who does this benefit to come out right or who like so I totally I feel, agree. yeah. You know that uh, the what is it the the meme where he's um, what shows up from where he's where he's in front of the whiteboard and he's got all the strings attached and he's got his oh, hands always up, so, like, always sunny yep okay Charlie there you go there, yeah, you, there go. you go there you go the most the, the most uh, cynical show on the planet yes um, yeah that that's kind of how I feel when I see, see these NBA rumors something and is it an agent is this the Sixers is this the so um, yeah needless to say I, that rumor was weird when it came out I I really like Halliburton I do. Um, but I just, I, I don't know. I, I might be higher on Simmons than the average person right now. Um, and that's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. And, and again, like, and from, I guess there, again, there could be some anchoring bias. Like I wasn't super high on Halliburton as a prospect. I think I had him like fringe lottery. Of course, that looks very silly now because he made incredible strides as an on-ball score in, in many regards. Um, but like, I still just, I just struggle for Sacramento, especially like they need more high end talent. I guess there'd be some fit issues if you're trading Halliburton, maybe another guy that spaces the floor. Well, like, yeah, it would be tough to do some things with Fox and Simmons there offensively and, and Rashawn Holmes, of course. But like, I just think like the, the, in the Kings need more high end talent and that's what Ben Simmons is. Um, you know, he has his faults, of course. Um, anyone who listens to this podcast or these streams, you know, I've been very critical of a lot of things he struggles to do. Um, but they need that. And I, but I, I get the flip side of it. Like, like what, like, what is the package? Like how many picks are the set that they're right. asking for? Because like, it doesn't automatically make you a playoff team, right? Like you're not, you're, you're close. You're a lot closer with, with Ben there alongside Fox and, and whatever else you have, but like, you're not automatically there. Um, and so is like, it next year, the year to go for it though, just with Denver at, you know, Murray yeah, being out yeah, and, I think and Kawhi being out. Yeah, I would I, look at it. Yeah, so would I. But I think just you also believe you're right. You know what I mean? Like, like what if they miss the playoffs and all of a sudden you don't have the right. pick? Like, you're still trying to you know, build build uh, you know your your stockpile of, of talent. Um, right. I think another thing that I do like for the Simmons fit is Alvin Gentry would be the most creative offensive assistant coach or coach mm. that he's had. I know Gentry is the you know he's the assistant, but like you watch like the Kings had some really beautiful sets last year, mm-hmm. um, largely based off like the shooting stuff with Buddy and, and Foxy downhill. But like I think you've seen in, like you've seen enough um, from Gentry that you could feel pretty confident that like he would get more out of Simmons in what he can do than you know what what Doc or Dave Yeager or. Uh, Brett, or I don't even know who their offensive coordinator was during Brett's tenure. Um, but that's another point I think in the in the favor of the Kings going for is like you have Gentry in town. I guess like maybe Gentry could get, you know, maybe he gets you get poached or something like that. But right. Um, but that's I think another point in their favor. But it's, it's a complicated situation. I would do it, but I but I get why people wouldn't. But I feel pretty strongly that I would be willing to at least make Halliburton available. It doesn't mean that like they should automatically trade him regardless of what else the Sixers asked for, but like, but that report being that they wouldn't make him available like was a little like it wasn't like you know what I mean like it wasn't like the the Sixers reportedly asked for Barnes, Heald, Halliburton, and a first, and they said no, yeah. it's just like, not available. So that that was weird. Do you? And I don't want to get into the whole speculation, but but did you what what did you like? Do you think that's just the, the fact of the matter or the truth, or like did you think what did you find any angle that you think it might not quite be the entire truth there? No, I actually kind of, I, I, and after all this, I'm like, I, I kind of did believe that they don't really seem like they're in the mix. Um, you know, and, and we'll see. I mean, I, I, it, I'm, it's, there's a whole, <laughs> at some point I need to go through and like 
categorically take note of like what language is actually true. So like when the rumor of, oh, they haven't been in contact with X team or, you know, X team hasn't been in contact with Y team for months. How often is that true? <laughs> Cause I'm still in the camp where I'm like, I kind of buy that, but I could be totally wrong there. So I, I actually do believe that they don't really, doesn't really seem like they're in the mix right now for Simmons, but who knows? Could be wrong. I, these, again, smoke screens are tough to read. Now, I, I, I think I agree with on this one too. I don't really know who, who benefits from that one. Maybe, yeah. it's, maybe I need to get even more deeper into it and call up Charlie Day and he'll, he'll figure it out for us. But, right, right. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I think yeah, I, that one's an interesting one. I think the Kings make some sense, but um, I'm I'm just really intrigued to see how this entire thing ends. Like, like I, I want to see where Ben goes. I like hope he goes somewhere where he you know he feels like a commitment from the team. Um, and again, that's not me saying the Sixers like it's it's justified. The Sixers have made him made him available. Like I'm not saying otherwise. Right. Um, but I like I want to see him kind of go somewhere again where he feels like a renewed sense of you know just commitment and investment from a team. What that looks like, you know. Um, and all that, and what the Sixers get back, how this team looks, because I mean, this it's wild. This is my, I'm going into my fifth year of covering the team in some capacity. Obviously, it's gotten more and more serious over the, the past couple of years, but like, uh, if, if, with Ben out there, this will be the first year that it's not a Ben Joel team. And so I'm really fascinated to see what their identity is. You talk about identity, like, I'm just curious to see how things play out. Does Joel look better? How does he look defensively? Because, you know, obviously the, the fit offensively is precarious between them, but like, they're, I mean, they're probably they're arguably the best defensive duo in the league. Um, so uh, curious to see how that that plays out um, and, and all the ripple effects of not having Ben both positively and negatively. You know, there's probably some benefits offensively, but defensively he he makes life a hell of a lot easier for basically everyone on that team. Right. Um, so uh, Matt, really appreciate you hopping on. Anything you wanted to add before you know we uh, we part ways? Anything you want to plug? Where can people find you? Um, the floor is yours. Um, yeah, just everything's on my Twitter, Matt Brooks MBA. Um, and thank you for having me on. This is a fun way to spend a Sunday. Um, and it's, it's always good to talk basketball with you, man. Heck yeah. Appreciate it. Um, we're, you know, everyone does like, we're a Sunday closer to football. We're a Sunday closer to basketball. Like let's, let's do it. I'm ready. Uh, I had my first week, you know, if, if a month ago I was like, oh, I don't know, like it's, it feels like the season's coming up a little bit soon, but I had it last week. The first, like, I'm ready. Let's get this started. Yeah, I'm good to go. So that felt good. August was pretty low key for me, so I was it yeah. was nice and attached. But I'm like, it's September, like we're getting there. We got we got training camp in three and a half weeks. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. I, I also like hosting this podcast. I got to find something to talk about. Like I, I am, I got I got, we got to figure things to talk about. So once we get back right. to training camp, and we can hear about how every player is in the best shape of their life. I can I can talk about that and support or debunk it. But uh, right. Matt, appreciate it again, everyone for listening, whether in the stream or a podcast. Appreciate your support. I'll be back sometime next week with some uh, more Sixers and NBA stuff. Um, if people like this, like I'm trying to do, you know, trying to balance Sixers and general NBA stuff until we get training camp. People like this. They don't like it. Hit me up. Tell me what I can do better. Um, but I'll be back soon. In the meantime, stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. Talk to all of you again soon.